Consummate athletes seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We are pretty excited this week. We are just a few days away from the launch of our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete. It's the first book that we've we've written as a couple, and the fact that we are still together, still recording these intros, still happily married is... Uh, That's right. My, my slapdash editing and writing style did not jive well, but we got it done. Molly took over the writing part, luckily. I was actually going to say almost the op- opposite. You're... You're so meticulous and like very specific about exactly what you wanted to say that I think that's that's what took us the longest is just making sure that you were happy with, you know, really making sure that your coaching philosophies came out, you know, in every chapter. So I am really, really pleased with the end result. We talk about sort of everything from, uh, you know, why habits are super important for athletes to then exactly what the habits that we think are the best to go around your training are. So it's not just like, you know, here's 10 training plans to your fastest 10K PR or something like that. It's it's much more about like how you're how you're living around your training and then even just how to look critically at training plans. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it, right? I'm doing a presentation for a group of coaches here coming up for a different sport, not cycling. And, you know, just sort of describing what coaching is, right? And it's all these things I was thinking of us in Spain and all the different things that you have to, you know, the grocery shopping, the driving the cars, the, you know, getting the places, making the routes, having the gear in place, getting the gear out, fixing the gear, you know, all this stuff. And that's, I think what the book is really about is just like all the other stuff before you get to go running or before you get to go rock climbing is the gear, the habits, the making nutrition's on, you know, on is good. The nutrition is good. Um, yeah. So that's really what the, the book is about is all the other stuff to, to let you do the awesome stuff. Yeah, exactly. So if you're interested in that, you can head over to consummateathlete.com. It'll be all over the front page of the site or just go to consummateathlete.com backslash book. Uh, So yeah, we are super stoked on that. And if you do order, we'd love to hear from you, how you like it, what parts, you know, really speak to you, et cetera. So make sure you're, you're, you know, tagging us on Instagram or, you know, jumping into our inbox or wherever. Yeah. So watch for that link, as you say, Amazon, and there's definitely people can sign up for newsletter, right? If they on the website yes yes yes, they can do that yes um so today's guest we're actually talking a lot about goal setting and stuff so this is i was really excited about timing this episode with come you know as our book's coming out because obviously when you're talking about habits and athletes so much of it is you know around the idea of getting to your goal whether it's a race goal or a process even a weekly goal yeah just like what am i doing today right yeah what is the objective so i love this because uh, writer, trail runner, editor Zoe Rom is on to talk about DNFing. Yeah, she has a podcast called the DNF Podcast. Yeah, so I mean, we talk a ton about her. She's an amazing trail runner, really great ultra endurance athlete, and you know, we talk about the good things. But a lot of what we talk about in this episode is what happens when you don't meet your goals and why that isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think you know, as we've talked through goal setting and figuring out what it is you want to accomplish. Uh, you know, what kind of gets lost in talking about goals is that a lot of the time we're not going to achieve our goals, right? Take the Olympics, for example, right? How many athletes are on the start line hoping to medal at the Olympics, but only... Well, even let's step back. Like what, 
think of uh, the marathon race you just did or the ultra race you just did or the marathon, you know, your, your local running marathon or, or something bigger than New York marathon. How many people there are entering? Like, you know, they're definitely not entering to win. There's a handful of those people. Right. So it's, it's definitely like what success is, is, is a, you know, open to your interpretation. But I think lots of people don't hit their times, right? Stuff goes sideways all the time. And I think that's especially an endurance sport, but any sport, right. We're going to have stuff go sideways. Yeah, even if your goal is, yeah, setting a new PR or setting a certain time on a course, right? Like the odds that you're actually going to do that if you've set a goal that is like, you know, actually hard enough, mm-hmm. you you very well might not hit it. Yeah, and a lot of it's framing, I think, right? Like even if we think about the day of, you know, daily, the workout, right? Like it's sometimes I've been pondering this idea. I think we're, we have a post in the works and this is, again, my slapdash way of writing but uh, about the bad workouts okay right? so it's not slapdash <laughs> oh, okay. what peter means it's stream of consciousness okay. that i then have to go clean up <laughs> okay um well i like to revisit and ponder right and i think the writing is how i get through some of these ideas that are in my head but the the idea is that like you know we need to have bad workouts right quote unquote bad workouts workouts that aren't like our personal best workouts which you could call bad but maybe you're just the workouts you need to accumulate right as we work towards our goal you haven't got there yet so they they could be framed as bad but they're sort of necessary right and so what you'll see is a lot of people that only have these workouts you know they they haven't trained enough right where there isn't enough of these attempts enough of these reps right we could call these yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like if every workout is a great workout or if every race, race is a great race, then you're probably not aiming high enough. Yeah, I think there's that. I think there's also just that's the nature of it, right? Like they, they aren't going to go well, right? Like there's um, this other idea that just like, you know, we you, you at some point you, you aren't experienced enough to even be that disappointed, right? Like, you know, you aren't at the Olympics, so we need to accumulate years, right? And a lot of times the, the people we look up to, the people that seem to make it effortless and they've been probably just doing it for a long time, right? I think with cycling, that's what I always joke is like, I'm really not that good considering how long I've been doing the exact same thing, right? Womp womp. Yeah, yeah. It's like if I, if, <laughs> if I wasn't at least a little good by now, you know, I'd be doing something wrong. Yeah, so we thought this episode is a really good one to bring you as you're thinking about, you know, maybe 2021 goals, as you're thinking about the past goal episodes that we've had. Just kind of a reminder that a failure isn't necessarily a failure. There's actually a lot of ways to look at it and, you know, actually think that it's it's a positive thing. And so you guys, it are, is. you guys share DNFs. Oh, yeah. Okay. This one gets, uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing on my part, I'll say. Okay. Uh, I also talk about the fact that I used to have a death before DNF bumper sticker on my truck and why that was like the absolute worst oh, yeah. thing. Interesting. Yeah. Almost counter to this idea. Maybe. Yeah. Do you remember that? I had that on when you met me. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember the bumper sticker, but I remember the concept of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Not a great time in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's an odd one that like, when do you, when do you pull the plug? Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is something we talk about because it's not necessarily that like, you know, while we're saying failure is a positive thing, there's a difference between, you know, giving up for no good reason and giving up because you recognize that like this situation is potentially dangerous, potentially like risking the rest of your season. Right. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Versus getting like quitting versus DNFing versus, yeah, there's a whole, whole like uh, minefield of <laughs> choices to make there. And we get into it. This was such a fun episode. Okay. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get right into it. And don't forget to head to consummateathlete.com for the show notes and for info about our upcoming book. Thanks and enjoy this chat with Zoe Rom. Zoe, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. 
Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So I I love getting to talk to women who are doing super rad things in running. Um, so before we get into your podcast and everything related to that, um, I really wanted to hear about your running background. How did you get into the sport to begin with? Yeah. So, you know, I was not a super athletic kid. Yes. I, I'm yep. always so excited when people tell me that. I, I feel like as soon as someone's like, oh, well, I've been playing sports as long as I can remember. I'm just like checked out. Apologies to everyone. I came out of the womb running a six minute mile and I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's so great for you. (laughs) Um, I like, I did high school volleyball and I like went out for the cross country team. And essentially the coach was like, you're really good at jumping. Come back out for track. Like, you know, so, but like, I always really wanted to be a runner. So even, you know, throughout high school and college, I ran like super record, like, would run in like target yoga pants style recreation running the Sophie um, gym shorts. Oh yeah. Like Classic. I was like a one roll girl. Like that's the kind of tomboy I kind of was just like, you know, I still had like the cute purple ones, but they were longer than, yeah, than just, some of my cohort. I love that you just said the one roll. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a cohort of people who totally understand what you mean. And I was just like, yes, this is my person. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, there were a lot of like three role gals who were like amazing, you know, amazing women and they've gone on to do amazing things. I was I was a one role gal and I've achieved things in, in my own right. So. I love it. I love it. See, I was a two role, but only because I found the one role was actually kind of uncomfortable because then you had the actual elastic part that would still kind of stick in. But if you did two rolls, you got fabric. Sorry, this yep. is really specific to anyone who doesn't understand these gym shorts, but I feel like every woman who's between the age of like, I'm going to say like 45 to 25 knows what these shorts are. Yeah, exactly. There's probably some dudes that are like super confused. And there's some women that are like, yeah, you know, I started on that one roll and then gradually moved my way into a three. If, like, if I had a pair right now, I would now be a three roll, a three roll gal. Yeah. <laughs> like summer, yeah. spring, winter, fall, like Exa- would be rocking like a one and a half inch inseam. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is amazing. Um, okay. So recreational runner, what point do you super start being like, I'm going to take this really seriously? Yeah. So I worked at a running, so like I started taking it seriously enough that I worked at like a running shoe store. And because of that, I got free race entries and I got a free race entry to run a 50 K. And so I like kind of, I didn't really train for it, but I did like a 16 mile long run and was like, that's close enough. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this is good. Um, this is hilarious by the way, because my first 50 (laughs) K was a PR person was like, we're having this like series of races. Do you want an entry? And I was like, sure. She's like for the five K I was like, ah, let's do the 50 K. Why not? Exact same situation. So good. I was like, well, I'm not like amazing at running, but I'm pretty good at not stopping at least. (laughs) (laughs) So like I could probably not stop for about six hours. Sure. Yeah. Um, And so I signed up, ran and I ended up winning. And like coming in fifth overall. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I might actually be kind of good at this. Um, and like I had done and like a few other trail races and was having like a lot more success in trail than I did. Like when I would sign up for road races, like I was just not great at them and didn't like love them. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like I, I didn't like wake out, get out of bed. Like, oh yeah. So psyched to go like run this 10 K or whatever. Yeah. But for trail races, it just always felt like such an epic adventure and I was living in Arkansas at the time and the trails there are just amazing and they're super tough and technical. And I just like fell in love with, with trail running. And I was like, man, I should like 
really dedicate time to getting better at this. And so I moved out to Boulder to go to grad school right about the time I was like, maybe I should take running seriously. And because it's Boulder, I immediately met like 100 people who were all about taking it seriously. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is like a level of professionalism I never uh, would have expected to even exist. And I just kind of fell in love with like how everyone there was chasing these amazing dreams and was like really putting their whole hearts and minds into becoming super good at the one thing I cared about most in the world. (laughs) What point did you tip over into where it was like the the thing that you cared the most about in the world? Because I I always find this so interesting. I was super not into any of it. And then there was just this weird like, lightning moment where it was like this is what I do now I guess (laughs) yeah it's so I think it you know it took like years and years but I just like I was I was always like a really passionate and dedicated student and loved like you know even like in grad school I obviously took my studies very seriously but there was a moment where like you know, I would wake up every day and like the first like happy thought I would have was like, I get to run today. <laughs> and it wasn't like I was like that competitive or that great, but it was just the thing that like brought me the most consistent joy. Um, and so I started to kind of like order more and more of my life around it. Like one of the things I loved about grad school was like, it was a pretty flexible schedule and I was in Boulder. So I got to just kind of spend hours running around the foothills Mm -hmm. and you would just like run into amazing people. And I could like on a lunch break, go scramble the flat irons. And on the weekends I would like get up into the Rocky mountains and it just kind of like was a thing that I started getting curious about like, okay, how far, can I take this? Cause like, you know, in Arkansas, I've just kind of run on like mountain bike trails, but in Colorado, you can just run epic things. So I started running, like running, running in quotation marks, 14ers and like doing these bigger mountain runs. And I was like, this is just the thing that makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you and I have kind of similar trajectories and mine was a bit more with cycling at the time, but it kind of ended up being also what you do for work. So how did that happen? (laughs) Yeah. So after grad school, I actually, I moved to Aspen for a while to work at the public radio station there. And I was still taking my running like very seriously. I had been training for Leadville and starting to kind of run and compete in these longer races. And I was just kind of like getting crushed by the work schedule. Um, Like I was a morning edition host. So I just was like awake. I was all the time and not quite sleeping enough to sustain like normal human life, much less like competitive trail running. Um, and so a job came up at trail runner magazine and my coach, David Roche, who's also a, he's a guest editor and regular contributor. There was like, Hey, uh, you're a journalist and you're in the area. You should like really think about applying. And, and I did. And like, was kind of, it just felt, it was actually kind of scary at the time. Cause I was like, well, I really love journalism and I really take myself super seriously as a journalist. And I was a little bit nervous to like really commit myself so wholeheartedly <laughs> to trail running just cause I was like afraid of becoming one dimensional or like putting too many of my personality or passion eggs in one basket. And that was originally really scary for me, but I'm also kind of the person that loves to go like all in on stuff. Like I don't do a lot of things halfway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it kind of was this thing where I was like, well, kind of like teetering on this like precipice of like, man, do I just fully commit and go all in? And I did. And it was an amazing decision, both for like my, my professional life and for, and for trail running. And it's just so nice to like, I mean, I'm not 
an amazing trail runner. And it's like, I was kind of nervous to like revolve so much of my professional life around something that I was like an amateur at admittedly, but I also love the idea of being a super dedicated amateur. Mm-hmm. That's how I was. I started with uh, this magazine, Cyclocross Magazine. I'm a terrible cyclocross racer. Like full disclosure, just awful. I love it. I'm so passionate about it. I am so bad at it. It is probably like the least, I, I'm the least good at that out of any sport ever. Uh, but it, it was my favorite. So I, I completely yeah. understand this. Um, and I think I was just like too bought into the narrative of being like, okay, like, you know, as long as you're not the best at it, like it can't be like, I was like kind of gatekeeping my own athletic identity. And as soon as I was able to just be like, it's totally fine if you're not the best, you're like you're a great writer, you're a great runner, just own it to the extent that feels good and run with it and see how far you can get. Absolutely. I also feel like it's it's us amateurs that are better at writing about it because think about if you were one of the top pros and also trying to like interview and talk about top pros, it'd be a lot more challenging. Yeah. And this is something that is like, for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God, this is the best job security ever. But whenever I'll interview people who are like truly at the top of the sport and they're just like not good communicators, it's like kind of a huge relief. I'm like, oh, oh my God, like... <laughs> <laughs> this person can run me under the table, but they are not coming for my for my job as a writer. Totally, totally. Uh, okay, so I didn't realize that you were in radio before starting this DNF podcast with Trail Runners. So explain how that whole thing transpired. Yeah, so I mean, essentially, I had been you know I had been in Aspen and I had started and I was I'm a I love podcasts, like have forever and ever. And throughout grad school, worked on several podcasts, most notably Threshold Podcast, which is based out of Montana Public Radio. And I um, started like working on concepting different like news magazine type podcasts for Aspen Public Radio. I was super passionate about like finding a way to be like, okay, how do I take like new or previously made material and like repackaging it in a podcast so that like younger people like people my age would listen to public radio not just you know like older people that happen to be tuned into NPR um and like just using it as a way for like better audience engagement better civic engagement but I was also super because like one of my primary beats was reporting on the ski industry and outdoor recreation in Aspen I was super passionate about like man I really want to like explore outdoor recreation through long form audio journalism. And so I was kind of starting to work on concepting some podcasts and just because like public radio is tough and budgets are tight, it just became clear that I wasn't going to be able to creatively, I wasn't going to be as creatively fulfilled (laughs) doing like I was going to just be so beholden to the, like, you know, the, the news cycle that I wasn't going to get to dig into the topics that I was really passionate about. And so one of my conditions of getting hired at trail runner was that I would be allowed to start a podcast. I had no idea what it was going to be at the time, but I was like, you know, this is, I feel like I can come up with an idea if you give me a couple weeks. And, um, yeah. And I, I eventually came up with the idea of DNF just because I thought failure, there's no other podcast that's about failure, right? Like usually when you listen to a podcast, it's like, so-and-so just won a race or set an FKT or published a book or is like generally amazing. But my podcast is like, so, hey, you messed up huge. Let's talk about that. I love it so much, so much. Um, And before we get deeper into that whole concept, I have to ask your best DNF story. Um, Yeah, so this is actually 
right about the time I moved to Aspen, I was signed up for the Leadville Trail 100, and I DNF'd that super hard at mile 86. <laughs> Ooh, like, that hurts. Yeah, well, yes. So, like, I had joked to people before the event, like, you know, I'm not quitting unless they have to pull me off the trail. And I was correct, and they did, in fact, have to search and rescue me uh, off the trail because I was just, like, so... I could no longer stay conscious long enough to, like, string together more than a couple footsteps. I would, like, take a couple steps and, like, fall over and then take a couple steps and just keel over. Um, so Lake County Search and Rescue brought out, like, a little, like, a ATV and Search and Rescued me off. And the day ended with me at, like, 3 a.m. in the back of an ambulance. Oh, <laughs> um, no. Just, like, in retrospect, it's, like, what an amazing DNF story. But at the time, it was pretty rough. Uh, so what like, what was it? Was it just kind of like a culmination of just the sheer volume and altitude and everything together? Yeah, I think, you know, I do pretty well at altitude. I think a lot of it was that it had been a really cold day. So it was a combination of hyponatremia because I had just been drinking more than I needed to because part of my nutrition strategy was relying on liquid calories. Um, and then it got, it was rainy like all day. So I was just like rotating through rain jacket after rain jacket and was having a hard time staying warm and dry. And so I was just like not able to move fast enough to regulate my body temperature well anymore and was just like having some like cardiac symptoms related to hyponatremia, which is never great. No. <laughs> um, and like, you know, it, now I'm like, oh, this is so funny. I learned so much. But at the time I was like, really convinced that I was gonna die um just because like I mean it was a it was not a, it was not an elegant DNF <laughs> I mean is there such thing as an elegant DNF like yeah, unless I mean, unless you pass like a fainting couch on the trail and exactly, you can... <laughs> yeah <laughs> or like I don't know there's people that are able to like walk it into an aid station and have like a rational conversation with like medical professionals. And then they actively decide whether or not they're going to continue on. But I was like, I'm still good to keep going. And I would like take two steps and then I would just like keel over. And, you know, after the fact, people were like, you know, it's always more mental than it is physical. And I was like, eh. <laughs> maybe not in this case. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, my brain felt fine <laughs> at that point. <laughs> it was the legs that were and. Just, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of other things that really crumbled at that moment. Yeah. Now, on on a similar note, have you ever had a race that you should have DNF'd that you can recall? Huh. Because that's what I started thinking about. Because I remember doing a like my first marathon, and I have this weird leg cramping thing at like mile like fourteen. My legs cramped up to the point where like my dad had a cane attached to the back of his bike that he was like ready to give me because we knew it was a possibility. And I straight up hobbled with a cane for <laughs> 10 miles and then handed it back and like wobbled in and then couldn't walk for like three weeks. And that's one where I should have pulled the plug. Yeah. Like that's where a DNF yeah. would have been a smarter Actually, idea. Yeah, I have it. Cause like my thing, like I always go into a race and like my rule of thumb is like, if my health is at risk, I'm not trying to, like, I'm not going to mess with long-term health. Mm -hmm. Like no race is worth it. And I just like, I luckily, you know, haven't, haven't been there since. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's such an interesting thing and I'm I'm so glad you have this podcast because I think everyone eh, maybe it's maybe it's just what I how I got into the sport but it was always this idea maybe it's cuz I started as a triathlete and they're kind of nuts. Apologies <laughs> to triathletes. Um 
But it was this very, I think I said it to you in an email, I had a death before DNF bumper sticker on my <laughs> truck for like five years. Yeah. And that was my mentality. It was just a DNF was just not acceptable. And that's such a ridiculous sentiment. <laughs> I know. Like I always, I mean, you always hear stories in the ultra running world about like dudes who like get a stress fracture and they're like, oh, I'm going to run it out. And I'm like, don't do that. Like, that's not a thing. That? That's like not a good decision. We need culturally, we really need to move away from like, because uh, like, I think what it speaks to is the fact, and this is like something that people had told me going into the 100, they were like, don't quit. Because once you quit once, it like becomes who you are. And that was like something I struggled with because I quit. And I was like, man, does that just make me a quitter now? And then the really cool thing was, is that after I DNF'd, absolutely nothing about who I was as a person changed in any way, except for that I was like more resilient afterwards. And I think that like, we have such a hard time in our culture, like understanding that failure is important and it's not like an inherently bad thing or a dirty thing. It can a lot of times be the correct decision or the thing that like careers are built on. Like after that DNF, I just like learned how to run so much better and how to like set more realistic goals and not over depend on liquid calories, like all these super important life and ultra running lessons. And if it wasn't for that failure, I never would have learned those things. And I think that a lot of times people are just like scared to embrace failure because they view it as a referendum on who they are as a person rather than just like information about how to do better going forward. Yes. Uh, this is also just making me want to make like a super hip t-shirt that says like quitter across it, but maybe like what quitter <laughs> is in like French or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. <laughs> um, okay, so I love this because we've been in this real like goal setting phase with our podcast and you know, we're starting to hit upcoming year, New Year's resolutions, all that kind of stuff. And you know, everyone always wants to talk about achieving goals, but that's not going to always be possible. I mean, especially if your goal is to like win a race, because guess what? It's also the goal of like 10 other people over there. Uh, so nine of you aren't going to make that goal. <laughs> so it might not be as dramatic as the DNF, but it still is this idea of like, quote unquote, failure. Uh, so as you've been putting together this podcast, as you've been talking to other people about their DNFs, as you're going through your own running, talk to me about failure. Is it always bad? How yeah. can we make it less of a bad thing? That's so interesting. So for the past like three years, my New Year's resolution has been to run 100 miles and buy better olive oil. And I haven't totally nailed either of those things. Oh my um, gosh, just I because, love it. <laughs> you know, you go into the year with the best of intentions. Like I'm going to really pay attention to the expiration date on this olive oil and make sure it comes in the like correct shade of green glass bottle or like I'm going to sign up for Leadville and then like boom in comes COVID and you know all of our best laid plans are out the window and I think that that you know one of the things that I love about kind of more process oriented goals like running 100 miles is it just rewards the kind of work that I like which is like grinding it out over the course of years and years and years and just like accumulating life lessons and time on feet and miles and like quality miles and quality training um, because the people that do well at 100s aren't the people that like are able to string together one super great training block. They're the people that have been stringing together years of pretty awesome training. So I really, I think that that like really speaks to me. And I also think it, you know, is like a really interesting way to look at failure. Like 
for me, when, you know, COVID happened and my entire race schedule was wiped clean by the winds of fate, um, I still had a lot of like joy and like cool goals to fall back on just because I was like, okay, you know, maybe I still can run a hundred miles or maybe I can find a way to make this season all about getting stronger for whenever that goal does happen. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, 2020 didn't feel like an athletic wash for me at all. It felt like an amazing like starting point or a chance to build an even stronger foundation for those goals to build on down the road. Um, in the context of failure, I feel like anytime you set a goal, if failure isn't a possibility, then your goals need to be more ambitious, like yes. professionally, personally, athletically. Like if you go into something and you're like, there is no possibility of failure, then I'm like, you might need to swing bigger, right? Like whenever I feel the most engaged at my job or the most engaged in my relationships or like in my training, it's because like it could go either way. And sometimes mm -hmm. it does, right? Like I've, you know, taken a lot of big swings athletically or professionally and, you know, it's, it's almost like you start to get over the failures faster and faster because every so often you really do get like that success you're looking for. Like you do get to launch your own podcast or you do get to like have your dream job at a trail running magazine, or you do like win a race. And you know, then that makes the like tough failures even more forgettable. Like you just get over them sooner. Cause you start to understand that like, Oh, this is just part of the process. Like, Oh, this is just more information for me to learn and like pivot off of to like make a better podcast next time or like to have a better race the next time I hit the starting line. Yeah, yeah. So it's really seeing failure almost as like a springboard for the next thing instead of seeing it as like the end of something. Totally. Yeah, it's like, it, it just it's it, it can almost be even more meaningful information, right? Like, you know, I've, I've just like the DNFs I've had running like that set me up like that just gave me the most <laughs> explicitly like here's what you need to do to get better at running. And then I was able to execute on those things and I've been able to grow just because I was specifically was like, all right, I've got to work on my endurance and I've got to work on my fueling and I need to figure out how to stay warm. And like when I was able to like really do those things, then I was able to like actually follow through on some of the like more ambitious goals I had. Um, or, you know, professionally after I walked away from my job at um, the public radio station, I was like, okay, I kind of felt like I wasn't fulfilling myself creatively there. And in order for me to really feel like I'm succeeding in my new job, I want to just like have a thing that is totally mine. That is like my creative baby. Like that's what I want. And I was able to do that. So the same things that I used to like carry shame or like regret about just ended up being these amazing, like super clear lessons of like, here's how you do better going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So after you've had like a DNF or, you know, a, a, I keep putting quotes around failure. So anytime <laughs> I say failure, assume, yeah. anyone who's no. listening, just assume I put quotes. <laughs> is there is there anything you do like after that Leadville? Did you, you know, sit down and like journal through a bunch of that stuff and kind of make the notes or how, yeah, what is what is your process? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing I actually did after Leadville is I got out of the ambulance, I took a nap, and I woke up the next morning, I went and ate pizza with my crew, and I was like, you know, I kind of think that was the best day of my life. Like, it didn't end how I was anticipating, but, like, that was so, like, the way that my crew just really showed up for me and supported me. I was like, I feel like I really understand what this running thing is about now. Like, it's about, like, the love that we can give to others through the sport. Like, it's about the community we can have. It's about the lessons we can learn about ourselves and each other. Like, this is awesome. Um, so I didn't take, I didn't really dwell in the, 
the suckiness of it for very long. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exactly that person. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty chipper person no matter what. Um, and I just like immediately kind of like set to work figuring out what to do better. Like, you know, a few weeks later I reached out to a coach and was like, Hey, like, let's, you know, let's do this. Like, I don't know when I'll be able to run Leadville again, but uh, let's start training now just in case. And uh, been training ever since. <laughs> just in case. I like, just yeah, in just in case I can do another hundred miles at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like even a few days after Leadville, when I was finally able to like fit my running shoes back on my kind of swollen feet and go run again, I was like, heck yeah, I'm already training for Leadville, like 2024, whenever it is, like I'm coming for you. I love um, it. Okay. I just felt like I was able to turn it around pretty, pretty easy, pretty easily mentally. I, you know, I always think that a dangerous thing though for athletes can be after a really good or a really bad race, like stay off of ultra sign up, don't sign up for anything else. Like don't, you know, don't, start hunting for other races, um, you know, re-engage and reinvest in the training process before you get like super amped on, on your next event. Yeah. I always kind of envision like a training makeover montage sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a makeover montage person. Yeah. It's just, it's I who I am. Like a, I like the Rocky kind of montage. Yeah. Like me in my sweatsuit, like kind of just eye of the tiger. Running exactly. Up and down some steps. Exactly. Uh, okay, so I want to just talk about briefly what what training looks like for a hundred miler because I think a lot of people assume that it means you're doing like two hundred mile weeks just all the time. So briefly, what does what does it look like to train appropriately for a hundred miles? And I know it's yeah. different for everyone, but you know, yeah, it's different for everyone. But I think what has surprised me the most is that it when I was training for Leadville the first time and was coaching myself, my strategy, and I'd made the mistake of like, a lot of the people that I looked up to in the sport were significantly older men who were not as competitive. And I like pulled them for advice. And they would all say things like, practice going slow, do as much time on feet as possible, just practice hiking a bunch. And I was like, oh, that sounds really correct. <laughs> I trust you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I spent a ton of time just like hiking around and practicing going slow. So, uh, spoiler alert for most people, that is not the ideal training. Um, my economy just like tanked and I was super great at hiking, but the unfortunate truth is that most of running is still in fact running with yeah. intermittent <laughs> hiking. Um, so I was not as prepared to take advantage of like the flats and downhills as I should have been. Um, now I've come to realize that like the best way to train is to do a lot of easy running below aerobic threshold with like a little bit of speed work to kind of keep that economy up and going just a little bit of power hiking, but kind of just focusing more on speed than just like time on feet, because the good news is for a lot of athletes, like myself included, like I'm already kind of a boss at just remaining upright and moving forward slowly. Like that's not like where the most room for growth Check. is. The most, yeah, the most room for growth is like, can you get a little bit faster so you can delay that point before you have to draw on that reserve of like, well, you're good at staying awake, you know? Like, can we extend that amount of time that you're like still really like kind of performing as your best athletic self before you're tapping into the reserve of just like, well, you're tough. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Like it's it's much better to be tough and fast than it is to just be like, well, you know, I don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> so what would like, uh, and feel free to just like ignore this, but, um, like what would like an average weekly mile, like volume be for you in just kind of a normal week? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of rocking like 65-ish mile weeks right now, which is, I mean. That is like my favorite. Oh. Yeah. I'm really liking it. And I'm not, you know, I'm kind of training as if I'm going to run Leadville next year. Like, we'll see. Um, But, you know, I do a lot of like easy kind of aerobic base building, just a little bit of speed. Some I do a long run Saturday, slightly less long run Sunday. Um, if I were going into it, like if this was the summer before Leadville and I was planning on running it, I would do at minimum a 50K and a 50 miler to kind of tune up and like get some of those race specific stresses just because like, and I think this is something that there's mixed opinions about, but I'm of the belief that you don't want to, you don't want to practice going slow, but you do kind of need, there are a few kind of specific adaptations you need from spending a lot of time on feet, for instance, running 50 K or 50 miles. So you do need just like a little bit of that, like only one or two days, but you definitely don't need to be doing like eight hour runs every weekend Mm -hmm. because that'll just make you super slow. And it just, the risk to reward ratio is pretty low, particularly for female athletes or like athletes with any kind of history of injury. Um, you know, the chances, cause like, at a certain point, if you go a certain amount of time or distance, you're just encountering a lot more breakdown than you are positive training adaptations. Yes. I feel like there's such a good like tipping point. And I I feel like we're probably similar mileage wise. We're like at that, like 65 for you, that like is like the perfect amount to feel really accomplished and good, but not exhausted and like wrecked for the next week. Yeah, exactly. Just because like, at a certain point, you're just training fatigue resistance, right? So you're getting really good at being like, oh, I was tired, but I finished, which is like, you know, for someone that wants to like compete at a 100 miler, you want to feel pretty good going into most of your runs. Like there's definitely certain points throughout the training cycle where you want to intentionally train on tired legs. So like a back-to-back long run, or maybe like, you know, running the day after a 50K or something like that. But you don't want like the underlying principle of your training to be like, I'm getting good at running while tired, because then you'll only be good at running while tired. Yes, 100%. Oh, so good. Um, And I actually want to come back to something you said after the day after Leadville. Um, Instead of talking about like what went wrong, I feel like what I really liked is that it seemed like you really kind of thought, kind of approached it with like a, a gratitude for what went right and like what was awesome about it and I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't do with a DNF and I think that's such a powerful thing yeah I think (laughs) a quote that I always think of so I majored in English I love literature um the first line of Anna Karenina is like all happy families are exactly alike but like all unhappy families are alike or are totally different. Right. And I kind of feel the same way about like a good race, right? Like for a good race to be good, like everything kind of has to fall into place, but there's like infinite ways for a race to go wrong. Um, <laughs> yes. Kind of like what I thought Leadville was for me is I was like, Oh, there's infinite infinity things I can do wrong in this sport. Like that's so interesting. And I found most of them, um, in one day, how lucky it's kind of like that Edison thing of like, well, cool. I learned 400 ways not to make a light bulb. Yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like, I eliminated a bunch of like super rookie mistakes and I did them, you know, instead of trying to like spread it out over like years and years, I felt like I very efficiently in my infinite wisdom managed to fit like 10 years worth of DNFs into one day. Um, and just woke up the next day and was like, okay, awesome. Like, you know, less reliance on liquid calories, like more raincoats, like better preparate, like don't PR your 100 K. <laughs> like there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Um, 
you know, like the race really does start at the halfway point, learn how to run the downhills and flats and like the power hiking will fall into place. So maybe don't overemphasize that as much, but you know, there were a lot of things that went wrong, but like a lot of things that went like super right too. Like mentally I was in an awesome place. My eating was pretty good, but mostly I just like really loved being out there with like my friends and crew. Like it was just the best day ever. Like my ideal day is just running around the collegiate peaks with my best friends. And that's what that's what Leadville was. That's so good. Um, and okay, so on the note of uh, things going well, uh, you do have some FKTs. Um, and I really wanted to talk about how those differ from your more traditional races, because I feel like everyone and their mother is into FKTs this summer. Um, so first of all, if you could explain what an FKT is for anyone who doesn't know. And yes. yeah, how is that different than racing? So an FKT is a fastest known time. And that's when you essentially find or choose a route and you try to do it the fastest ever. And what's really cool about these is like, unlike races, which can feel somewhat contrived in nature, just because like sometimes to get to a certain distance, like you have to just repeat terrain or you'll be going through areas that maybe aren't that amazing. But for FKTs, you can do these like super cool, scenic, sexy routes that are just like not raceable necessarily. Um, or that are like, like, so the first FKT I did this summer is on the Buffalo River Trail, which goes through the Buffalo National River, like wilderness area, which is like, a, it's like, it's a, it's a national river. So it's managed by the National Park Service. So there could never be a race there because it's, you know, it's land managed in a specific way. And I was like, it would be so cool to like compete in that terrain though. Cause it's really cool, exciting terrain. So I went out and did the FKT there and I did that one unsupported which was kind of cool and interesting because i just you know for like eight hours was running by myself <laughs> um and like i had people just like meet me on the trail at certain points just so i could like smile and wave and be like i'm alive this yeah is good. <laughs> uh, just because it would have been like a little and i you know just for safety things i probably wouldn't have wanted to be like see you in like seven to nine hours hopefully, <laughs> hopefully i'm okay <laughs> yeah uh, i'll be between here and here um and the second FKT I did this summer was a supported effort on Capitol Peak, which is a 14er near my home in Colorado, um, which is also amazing because you could not have a race there ever because it's a pretty technical, dangerous peak uh, that's not really a great option for speed <laughs> or racing or competition, really. Um, but there have been some really cool FKT attempts on it, like Anton had the first FKT, and this summer another guy from Carbondale um, – James Damore did the FKT on it. And I just was like pretty inspired and was like, Oh, I've kind of always wanted to see if I could get an FKT on a 14 er and that one's closest to my house and is kind of the most fun. Uh, let's go for it. I love and it. those are really cool. I kind of prefer them to races because you just get to stage manage everything in a way that I really like, like you can start at a time that works for you. You get to just like be a little bit more in control of the experience. You're picking the terrain. Um, and you just get to pick things that like appeal to what you want to do. Cause like, I feel like usually for races for me, it's like, okay, you know, I like steeper stuff that's like between 40 and 60 miles. Um, and I'm kind of looking for things that fit that, but with FKTs, I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. I have to run that. Um, I'll see if I can do it the fastest ever. And you just get to kind of like be your own race director, which I think makes for a really cool experience. Cause you just get to accept a lot more responsibility for like kind of the fun logistical stuff and for just like stage managing your own experience in a way that I feel like is super engaging and gives you a lot more like ownership over the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. 
Now, on these longer runs, like eight hours out, how do you stay motivated for that? Because during a race, you have, there's always someone ahead of you that you can chase, or there's someone behind you that's chasing you. <laughs> how do you do that when you're chasing um, your clock? <laughs> ample Missy Elliott playlist. Fantastic. And, yep. Um, like when I was doing the one in Arkansas, since it was unsupported, I was, I mean, that was one of the things I really kind of was like, I feel like this is going to be a really good experience for me because, you know, to do things like a 100, you have to just learn how to manage it, take responsibility for your emotions and kind of manage yourself well. And it's not that you're never going to get to a low point, but something I'm trying to develop in my own athletic practice is like moving myself more quickly through the low moments and like talking myself down off limbs. Um, and so like, I really specifically kind of went out in search of like, I hope I have a low moment and I hope that I'm able to like practice moving through it kind of without anyone's help or without like relying on the pick me up of like fans or anything, you know, cause like for an FKT, like you just go and you do something really hard and then you finish at a trailhead and like my partner was there. <laughs> like it's kind of anticlimactic in a really fun way because you're like I just achieved like a pinnacle experience of my athletic career and they're like when I finished capital I got to the parking lot and was like quite emotional because I was like I never thought I could do this this is amazing and there's just like dudes that are getting ready to go on a day hike that are like whoa <laughs> like she seems sweaty yeah, she's like what the heck <laughs> um why is she so sweaty and like maybe crying while listening to Missy Elliott? I'm not sure if I want to do this hike anymore. <laughs> um, and I feel like it's just like going out in search of those opportunities to kind of train different mental aspects of things and going out kind of in search of these like unique kind of almost more, they feel like really intimate experiences because it's just you out there. And I always, I've been, you know, another part of my competitive mindset, I've been kind of looking at fine tuning is like, can I keep the pressure up on myself, even if there's no one like racing right next to me or in front of me and behind me, like if it's just me and the clock, like how can I stay mentally engaged in the process? Yeah, yeah. I find that super difficult. Yeah, when you know there's like no one behind you for quite a while and the person ahead of you is just like, they're gone. So yeah. you're, like, you're well. like, yeah, and you have to just kind of be like, all right, how do I keep kind of holding my like hand to the flame? Just kind of keep applying that pressure um, in the hopes that I'll either catch up, but hopefully won't fall behind either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so did you do anything to celebrate either of the FKTs like afterwards? Did you pop um, champagne at the trailhead or? I uh, I got pizza <laughs> both the times. Um, you, know, uh, you know, I think that's kind of one of the other unique facets of COVID is that I think a lot of us are facing fairly anticlimactic uh, competitive experiences, which is also, I think, a really nice and humbling reminder of like, you know, you don't do this stuff to get like a big fancy check at the finish line or um, confetti or whatever. Definitely like, not an ultra it, running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially like when you're a competitive woman, woman, like so many times I'll finish a race and they're like, Oh, oh yeah. Like <laughs> sick. <laughs> Great job. Did you just, are you, are you running the 50 K? Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we already took down the nice. podium. Sorry. Yeah, they're like deflating the arch and I'm like, there's like a hundred people out there. still. <laughs> uh, but with FKTs, it's like, you're totally responsible for ginning up all your own like enthusiasm, which is thankfully one of my strong suits. Um, you know, I think I've always, like, I've had a beer at the, at the trailhead and just kind of basked in this, like, feeling of, like, dang, that was something that I was not sure was possible. Like, failure was a 
definitely looming and oh my gosh, I just did this incredible thing. And that's more exciting. Like I've just never had, you know, there's no medal that you'll ever get handed or like, there's nothing that anyone's ever going to say to you at a finish line or like no arch that's fancier than like just the feeling of being like, Oh my God, I just did a thing that I really wasn't sure I could do. And I like exceeded my expectations. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. This is just making me want to just like hang up on you and like sprint out of the house right now. <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> getting so excited. I'm getting chills. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a super addict. I think that's the other thing is like, it can be a pretty addicting feeling and I have to be, you know, I'm a fairly like internally motivated person, but it's also really easy to fall into that trap of like, man, I felt I need to make sure I'm not like looking for like external things to shore up like my, my self-worth with and, you know, it's, 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 it's just, I want to always be doing enough of those things where like, I, I stay like passionate and motivated and excited, but I never want to like slip into that trap of like, but I need more, I need more, I need more. And that's, you know, it's, it's a delicate balance. And I have to always like hold myself accountable for like, okay, what is your intent here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, especially when you're balancing these like, you know, pretty big athletic goals with professional aspirations too and you know you you can have all of these things but it's really hard to have them all at once so yeah and I think that's like one of the really great things is like you know if I go out and I set the FKT on a 14er or if I go out and I like fail spectacularly no matter what I'm gonna like go to work virtually and like my coworkers are still gonna be like what'd you do this weekend was it sick um and they'll treat me exactly the same which is like so awesome and like that's what that's the feeling that I always come back to is like nothing about who you are like you were that person the whole time right like you were this amazing athlete that can set FKTs or you you know you DNF'd but people still love you the exact same amount and like no one's opinion of you changed and you need to make sure that your own opinion about yourself doesn't change either. Mm-hmm. I also really like the question of what did you do this weekend? Was it sick? I'm going to start like <laughs> asking myself that before the weekend starts. Like what should you do this and weekend? <laughs> like trail runner, we share an office with, or we did pre COVID short shared an office with rock and ice magazine. So one of the amazing things about working in the outdoor industry is just like, the water cooler conversations about what people get up to over the weekend is absolutely the most fabulous thing on earth. And I will never get over it. Like just, you know, everyone that I work with does amazing things every single weekend, like Mm -hmm. just, you know, and I'm, I think that like that speaks a lot to like the culture of excellence that we also have at our place of work is that like, I'll show up and I'll have done an FKT and people are like, Oh yeah, sick. Me too. You know, like <laughs> it's like people are just really getting after it and it like kind of, you know, inspires you to do it too. I love that so much. Uh, all right. We're going to back it up to like beginner level. Um, best advice for newer trail runners before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, I would just say that trail running is super hard for everyone um, and stick with it because it gets easier and don't be hard on yourself because there'll always be outlier days that just feel exceptionally hard and whenever I have a hard day I just try to put as much like as many pizza bagels and hours of sleep between myself and like the bad run as possible to kind of just insulate myself and move forward um and that it's just you know don't give up because 
starting is the hardest part. Like I rarely have days now that feel as hard as like every day felt when I started running like in high school and would just like, I would go to the track after school and I would run a mile. I would barely be able to complete a mile intact and I would just feel so proud whenever I did. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you know, and that's not, that's not honestly that long ago for me. And if you just keep up with something for like years and years, you will get better at it. And that it does, it just takes a ton of time, but that, you know, if you like love it, that can, I'm not, I don't really believe in talent. Um, I think that hard work trumps talent every single time. So, you know, don't buy into stories that don't like make you happy or don't feel like push you to be better. Just, just get out there and keep doing it and that it's okay if it doesn't feel super great to start. Like that's I love it. <laughs> yes. I don't think like anyone was like, you know, I started running and it felt amazing and it was totally easy. So I kept doing it. I think, you know, to like get good at it, you have to just kind of come from this perspective of like, it was pretty tough, but like I believed in myself and believed that if I continued to do it for hours and hours and hours over the course of years and years and years, that it would eventually get better. Yep. I remember my sister actually recently was like, uh, at what point does running stop sucking? And I was like, honestly, uh, kind of never, but kind of yeah. eventually. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but there will be like more good day. Like even like I'll have days now where I'm just like, man, I, if I could like time travel and just tell like young Zoe, like there's going to be days when you're running where it actually feels like pretty dang good. Like mm-hmm. that would have been unbelievable to me. But now there's also, I mean, you know, waking up in an ambulance is also not like, oh yeah, this is good. Like this is where I totally saw myself ending up. Like that's pretty profoundly sucky, but you survive. Yeah, exactly. Survived, and you're going back to Leadville for more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right, before we wrap up, tell everyone where they can find you, your podcast, everything on the interwebs. Yeah, so um, you can find a lot of my writing at trailrunnermag.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Zoe H. Rome, on Instagram at carrot underscore flowers underscore Z, and you sure. can find... <laughs> DNF, right. <laughs> you can find DNF online at, uh, on any, on any, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast, just search DNF. There's, so there's actually, there's, it's either going to be my podcast or this other obscure German podcast. So whichever one, you know, yeah, yeah you maybe, maybe you're into it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. uh, And I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. Wow. What an episode. That was amazing. When that one person said that thing and then the other person totally like set them straight. Oh man, that was great. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that again. But hey, since I have your attention now, hello, cyclocross friends new friends and old friends and soon to be friends. My name's Bill. I host another show on the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. It's called Cyclocross Radio and we talk to the biggest stars in cyclocross and even the medium stars in cyclocross and some of the soon to be stars in cyclocross. 
We also have a panel discussion we call the Media Pit with my buddy Zach and Michael, where we go over all of the new rules that might be coming out and the calendar situations and races that happen. It's a great time. It's a great conversation. We built an amazing community that we want you to be part of. So go to wideanglepodium.com, become a member there, then go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Cyclocross Radio. Do it. Do it now. Cyclocross friends.